the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, uh, to this week's uh, edition of Armchair Politics, uh, part two of our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Welcome back, Paul. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Welcome back, Henry. Thank you, Tom. And it's always fun to have uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton along with us. Welcome back, Bobby. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Michigan House Republicans spearheaded a move late Thursday to stop providing an extra $300 per week in unemployment funding to those who lost their jobs during the COVID-19 pandemic. The 60-49 to vote came hours after Governor Gretchen Whitmer announced the state would roll back the majority of remaining pandemic regulations on Tuesday, about 10 days ahead of schedule. While Republicans carried the measure, uh, Representative Sarah Cambenzi, uh, I think, a Democrat from Marquette, and uh, Karen Whitsett, a Democrat from Detroit, also voted in favor of the bill. Originally, the measure passed Thursday was a non-controversial bill to require the Unemployment Insurance Agency to use plain language in its communications with people who receive benefits, but late Thursday, by a voice vote, the House changed the bill to include the end of the extra benefits. Whitmer spokesman Bobby Letty did not directly say whether the governor supports the measure, but his statement noted Whitmer's support for a program that the bill would likely end. Um, 
making the measure a likely veto candidate. Will cutting off extra benefits serve as an incentive to getting more people back to work? It would get me back to work. <laughs> well, it, it, it's one factor among several, though. It, it's not going to solve everything, but, I mean, people are still concerned about child care and, and school systems and all that, so it'll be a factor. But uh, but it's, I think it oversimplifies it to say that just doing that will automatically solve the whole problem, but it's one factor among several. Yeah, I, well, force. I agree. Well, I think we're, well, we've never been through this before. <clears throat> we've never had an incident, and it shows how how fortunate Americans are when you can have all the food you want to eat and live in such a a land without uh, problems that many others have. Uh, it shows that we are something about human nature. If if you have it good and you don't have to work, you don't, you are resistant. And we've never seen that before. It has never been part of our population. And it's never been part of our discussion. But we, there's, this is something to study. And do you think that our humans' uh, sentiments now with respect to work, do you think it will drive the, or hasten the introduction of robots in kiosk? Um, Paul, you talk about this a lot. Yeah, you talk about this a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think how... Go ahead, Bobby. No, I was going to say that there, I took a lot of courses in you know, organizational development, management, things like that. There have been a lot of studies about what motivates people to work or what makes them work harder or what makes them seek more employment. There's so many studies done psychologically that um, I don't think we can assume that people don't like to work, don't want to work, and are willing to stay home and do nothing. The people that I'm aware of who choose not to work have got something wrong with them. They're either drug addicted or mentally ill or physically disabled. The general population of people like to feel worthwhile or feel like they're participating in something that makes a difference. So to say that people don't want to work because we're helping them uh, survive without a, without a job, is, it's just too simplistic. It's too facile. Well, the, um, you know, it's, they're having difficulty getting people to do even professional jobs. It's to make an application right now when they can draw unemployment and be carried by other people, uh, looks like they have taken advantage of that. And well, what we need to do before we let, completely let me, collapse as a society, we need to finally figure out what's going on. Let me it add looks like the, you're let me add the motive. Let me add this to the uh, to the conversation here because Governor Gretchen Whitmer wants to expand how Michigan uses federal unemployment funds to incentivize Michiganders to return to work after the COVID-19 pandemic. She announced this uh, on Monday. The plan involves providing a bonus of $300 per week <laughs> to specific employees returning to their previous jobs through the week of September 4th, Whitmer said during a wide-ranging news conference. She did not say when the program would start, how many people are expected to be eligible, or any eligibility dates for those returning to work. 
is this the right approach to get people back on the job? So we can, it, it, it's kind of related to the same topic. I thought mm-hmm. we'd go ahead. No, I think we should mix. just open up the borders and let people come in who want to work. <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> approach. Yeah, and, and, and surprisingly, yeah. that's not the first time I've heard that, that argument made. Um, uh, yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, I mean, the $300 may be, again, for some people, maybe a little bit of an incentive, but I think there's so many other factors that are going to feed into it about uh, who you're working with. Again, I think it, what's going to make a big difference for a lot of people is when do we reach genuine you know, 70% or herd immunity, where if you're a worker, you're no longer afraid of dealing with your customers. I think there's a lot of folks who are in that situation. But Bobby raised an interesting, um, uh, some interesting points about it isn't all just about the money. Um, yeah. There, there is this conversation going on that many people were actually making more money during the pandemic um, from you know, assistance programs from state and federal government than they were making in their regular jobs, or at least equal to. And that that has allowed them to save money on, on daycare. Um, there have just been all of these things that, that people have discovered during this, this time of being shut down or, or closed up in their homes and now getting them back out to go to work the the feeling is is that the employers are offering the same money they were offering before and now the jobs are not as attractive as they were and the conversation has been all about the money and not necessarily about people's lives and lifestyles so yeah. the question is, does this, you know, would this money, if it was tied to people going back to work, would it um, incentivize people to go back to work so that they qualify for these extra dollars and it would make their compensation more attractive? But if it runs out after yeah. three months or six months, will the free market adjust and absorb those higher wages? And I'm not sure that they will. I don't think so either. I'm just guessing and projecting here, but it seems to me that the one sector of employment where they're really hurting is in the restaurant food service industry, uh, hospitality industry. And when you look at how many people are afraid to go out and eat in public or afraid to go out without their masks on, Certainly, when you open up a restaurant, you're not going to have the same traffic you had before. So the extra $300 a week might help um, somebody on the wait staff or in the kitchen to be able to afford childcare, but also to bridge the time period that we have between now and the fall when perhaps the, the uh, traffic will improve and tips and other income will increase. Yeah, well. I'm, I'm sunstruck by how many, many times you see signs at fast food places for, you know, hourly pay of twelve, fifteen dollars an hour. You know, signs out on the, on the on the curb, inviting people to come in and apply for a job at, at those levels already. Uh, yeah, and I'm super. I'm not I, getting enough respondents. Yeah, 
Guys, a system has already been put in place and driven by the philosophy and tactics and stuff like that that keep businesses alive in the United States. And that was started in 1789 when he organized the Department of Commerce. And, uh, and Americans grew rich through providing jobs and uh, uh, creating stable conditions so that we could predict the outcome in each decade, how well we perform. And that has made us uh, a, a very powerful and rich country. And we need to continue that lest we fall. And to go out and try to become utopia for everybody would be a detriment to the country. We've got to keep incentives going. If we don't do it, somebody else will. Well, moving on, <laughs> attorneys who made false yep. claims in court filings after the 2020 general election to reverse election results to favor, to favor former President Donald Trump have been summoned to appear in Detroit for a sanctions hearing. Federal Judge Linda Parker ordered Sidney Powell and other attorneys who had represented Trump in an election results dispute last year to, pe to appear in court at 2 p.m. July 6th. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel has asked the court to sanction Powell, a Texas lawyer, along with Michigan Attorneys Greg Roll, Scott Hagerstrom, and Stephanie Gentilla, for pursuing a case that sought to overturn state election results based on lies. The 75-page 70 case, King v. Whitmer, filed by a group of Michigan Republicans, asked the judge to determine Trump, not now President Joe Biden, one Michigan based on discredited claims. Should there be consequences to presenting false claims in court filings? Yes. Yes. I think, I mean, my, my, only, my only parallel thought is I hope they follow kind of standard bar association rules and it doesn't appear to be it's a political lashing out. But, I mean, if, if, if an attorney goes into a courtroom with a totally false case, I assume there are bar association sanctions for that and they should be applied evenly. Yeah, there must no, be law against that. it. Yeah, there must be law yeah. against it as well because a judge doesn't have the authority to enforce bar association sanctions, but they would uh, certainly yeah. have the authority to enforce the law. Right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so it's going to be kind of interesting. People want the truth because they put their faith. They put their faith in everything they do during their lifetime. Always and the trust in institutions and people who represent them. And if they can't believe in institutions, guys, the whole thing collapses. Yeah, I agree. You know, that, that much is true, Henry. Yeah. I think that's one of the big risks we face now is the lack of trust in so many things, not just the election process, but we see it here in the Flint water crisis and a lot of other institutions that pretty much used to be the, the pillars of society are, are, are no longer trusted. Well, and um, we've got to fight for those and not fight partisan sides. We've got to fight for what we feel is the truth. That is why we sat at this table, at this round table. And, and on that note, we're going to take a, we've got to take a, uh, a short break, but you can trust that we will return with more armchair <laughs> politics coming up right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. Well, traveling across Europe for the past week, uh, President Biden found his reputation as a foreign policy wise man preceded him, even at Windsor Castle, whose occupant has met her share of world leaders. It was e- evident at nearly every stop along the way that after five months focused almost exclusively on pressing domestic concerns, Biden was at last in his comfort zone. He carried himself with a seasoned air of confidence that new presidents seldom possess, a fluidity on the world stage that was among his biggest calling cards in his race for the White House. He said, uh, I know we make foreign policy out to be this great, great skill, and somehow it's sort of like a secret code. All foreign policy is an ex- uh, an extension of personal relationship. It's the way human nature folk functions. Yet his premise will be tested in the coming months of his presidency as the Biden doctrine comes into sharper view and the relationship he's crafting with Putin and other world leaders develops. His decision to open a dialogue with his Russian adversary will be subjected to considerable scrutiny, the outcome of which will help shape his presidency. How did the president do abroad? I think it was a pretty good, pretty good trip in the sense he restored so many things that had, had kind of fallen by the wayside in the last four years, particularly with NATO, with regard to NATO. I think the the restoration of some of those ties were were very important and seemed to be very well very well received. They were. I think wearing well, sunglasses in the presence of the Queen was a little bit of a faux pas. <laughs> Perhaps. Well, yeah. I. To tell you the truth, I really liked his whole presentation. Uh, and when when I when the president, no matter who he is, a Republican or Democrat, a black or white or woman or man, when they represent the country on the basis of uh, uh, supporting our views and interests to others who don't necessarily agree with, I support for our people first. No matter who he is, I suppose, for the United States first. And I thought that Biden did a good job in uh, his presentation when he said, we're back, folks. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was a strong statement, not to take away anything from the former president. But he, that a, he appeared to have um, attack, and, and he drew quickly... Uh, attention to his interests in his words, and he was confident, and the issues that he specifically honed in on were very um, lucid and uh, easy to to listen to and easy to follow. I I thought he did a good job, contrary to all of the criticisms that he's got. And I wouldn't have been looking for these things, except he got so much criticism around the country on what he couldn't do and and how bad he was. But I was looking for someone to represent me strongly abroad, and I thought he did in this case. Yeah. um, If I could add or elaborate on what you just said, Henry. Also, I think when he said we're back or, or, yeah, I guess it was we're back. Basically what I... Yeah, what I heard, basically what I heard 
um, Donald Trump was, he, he spearheaded a movement to remove us from um, any kind of um, commitments to a lot of the other countries and the things that were going on, which is why NATO was an issue, which is why when he appeared uh, with the G7 and all of the others, a lot of what his message was, we stand alone, it's about the United States and nobody else, it's about us. And I think when um, Biden stood and said, we're back, what he basically meant was, we're back as a team member, as part of the group. We're not um, removing ourselves from the world stage. That was what I heard. Yeah, that's and I think it's worth noting that as, as we as we face with challenges from places like China and Russia, those those alliances like NATO are, are really going to be critical. This is not this is not a time to go it alone. Those those alliances are, are going to play an important role in how we deal with the world in the in the decades to come. Yeah, so. yeah. I was very to give you uh, and to make uh, some people question where I am on this, but I was satisfied. He was an American. And he represented not just one person, but he represented all of us. Yep. And, and I, I used to have to be on one side or the other. I think and that's I the important. Yeah, that's the important aspect about Biden is he does he does emphasize that he represents everybody. He represents all of us, not just the Democratic Party. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what a leader should do. And that he knows that. In a way, he was saying, we want to play well with others. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's that old saying that used to be true, I think, that politics ends at the water's edge. Now, it hasn't been true for a while, but I, you got a little sense that maybe that, that idea is coming back in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I just wanted to make sure that everybody knows that the President of the United States uh, represented us all well abroad, no matter what criticism we had, no matter what its physical uh, disability or appearances. He was the man for the job at that hour. Well, here was an interesting thing that came up in Oregon. The uh, Oregon uh, state representative who faced backlash after a video surfaced of him appearing to tell protesters how to get access to the closed state capitol has been expelled from the Oregon House of Representatives. Representative Mike Neerman, a Republican, was expelled from the legislative body Thursday night with a bipartisan vote of 59 to 1 on House Resolution 3, according to a press release from House Speaker Tina Kotek. Neerman was the only no vote. (laughs) According to the resolution, Neerman... Neerman engaged in disorderly behavior during a special session held on December 21st. It also outlines findings from an independent investigator who found that Neerman intentionally aided demonstrators in breaching Capitol security and gaining unauthorized access to the Capitol, leading to injury and property destruction. Should now, that's bipartisanship, guys. That's right. Should to the similar but the question is, should similar actions be taken in the U.S. Capitol? I suspect it's in the works. Yeah. yeah, yeah We've got to find out the truth. Yeah, yeah. But there, there are some suggestions of some evidence that has been at least mentioned that uh, a handful of members of Congress did somewhat similar things and led tours of the Capitol for some of the uh, the insurgents before January 6th to let them know where the 
where the tunnels were and where the doors were and other things of that nature. So assuming that's true, and again, that's not been proven that I'm aware of. But maybe, that's where that's that, true. maybe that's where that tourist idea came from. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, didn't, didn't you hear, I did, that the FBI, one of the questions that they're asking of the people that have been arrested is uh, about their contacts? with people who were members of Congress prior to the 6th? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I think there's, aren't they looking into some cell phone, you know, cell phone uh, call, phone calls or emails and so forth of that, of that nature to see whether there were, was early planning between either members of Congress and or maybe the White House itself. Or staff. Well, or staff, We had a yeah. person from Michigan. Go ahead. We had a person from Michigan That's right. that was apprehended, and I think that he had to walk the plank. Really? I I don't, this guy from Michigan, I don't remember what town he's from, but I think it was up north. And you mean uh, a member of Congress? A member of Congress or just an individual? No, just uh, one of the people who was seen in the video when they were waiting. Oh, um, yeah. They, they yeah. got him. And uh, they had an inquiry. and Yeah, he's being charged uh, I don't with crimes. I don't think there have been any uh, <clears throat> definitive court actions yet, but he is facing no. trial on criminal charges, and, and it is a yeah. Michigan resident from north somewhere. Wasn't he, he one of the, the bad guys? Who, he one of the ones who, who, who went to the Capitol and caused a big uproar? Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah, he's been charged with... Uh, with with crimes a, in the U.S. Capitol, and here also in Lansing, it seems yeah, like was he he was he you might be right. Michigan Capitol too, yeah, yeah. Well, former Vice President Mike Pence on Friday was heckled at a conference for religious conservatives ahead of a speech that took aim at his successor. Shouts of traitor and freedom were heard coming from a small group within the audience as Pence took the stage wearing uh, red Make America Great Again ball caps. They were immediately escorted out of the conference hall by law enforcement. One of the hecklers later told CNN that she interrupted Pence because he's a traitor, presumably referring to Pence's role in validating the 2020 election results during Congress's certification vote on January 6th. Pence has previously been criticized by Trump for proceeding with the certification, which took place after Trump-aligned protesters uh, stormed the U.S. Capitol, including some who threatened to hang Mike Pence. A police officer did not reply when CNN asked if the female heckler at Friday's speech was under arrest. Pence's team also declined to comment on the incident. Is former VP uh, Pence politically stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's and when you, when you think about that incident, it's a bizarre show. I mean, for for a group like that, Pence would be their almost ideal candidate given his beliefs and his background. He would be much more, uh, a much closer fit for that group than than would Donald Trump. Yet it's an example of how Trump has taken over the Republican Party in such a dramatic way that they turn even on people like Pence. But he really kind of but, but, stuck himself there when he uh, did what he believed was he was constitutionally bound to do, and that right, was, yeah. uh, you know, proceed with the certification. 
And, you know, now if he tries to do anything politically, he will be uh, challenged as, as a traitor by, by Trumpers. And because That's of right. his four years of, of stalwart support of the president and his policies, he won't appeal to anybody else. Yeah. Well, I yeah. thought that I thought that the vice president served uh, President Trump well. He stood in the background. He supported him when he needed to, because I was at Bishop Edward when he came there. And, and you're right, Henry. He did. He was, you and, know, for Donald Trump, he was the ideal vice president. I mean, yeah. he really. Um, yeah. supported him well and then with that that one act which he was really honor bound to do um, he, he completely destroyed all of that credibility he had built up with Trump supporters but well, guys, yeah. but he you know he had to uh, he's different he's got to have some differences and he's got to move on what he believes you can support the president with loyal and everything like that but, uh, you know, you've got to have some basis of being identified as a leader. And I thought that he did everything that he needed to do to, uh, uh, to support President Trump, but uh, he also had to push his own agenda. There are differences in how he views things versus how others view things. And I think that he did that well, and he supported the president well here in our community. I wanted to emphasize the fact that he followed the law, he followed his oath of office, he followed what the Constitution requires of him, and what we're seeing is people who define treason has nothing to do with the U.S. Constitution. It has to do with their own idea of changing the government into their, their particular style. I'll agree. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, I'll almost give Pence a few points of credit for, for finally uh, following the law and doing what he had to do with, according to the Constitution, uh, regardless of the consequences. But it's bizarre how the part of how his party has turned on him, because like I said, he's in many ways much more of a conservative, evangelical Republican than Trump certainly could ever have been. But uh, it's, uh, the Trump cult has turned on him dramatically. Yeah, but and you know, as as we move ahead in the next uh, over the next horizon, he may you can't predict how Americans will act to him, because Americans are not against uh, the vice president, the former vice president of the United States, but they're waiting to see. Now Trump has a has a strong grip on the mood of American people and their actions and their beliefs and. The, uh, the outcomes of anything that will happen in the future. They have, he has that kind of support. So uh, there are many who are waiting to see if uh, this will persist through the next uh, six months or whatever for the midterm elections. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I couldn't imagine Pence winning any kind of Republican primary if he's, if he's going to go that route. Uh, I wouldn't think there's a, a remote chance of Not with Trump there. Uh, it would yeah, be difficult. Yeah. Yeah, he's already been governor of Indiana. I don't know where he would go. Well, Back to the Senate? I haven't even been that yet. <laughs> it's nice to be governor of Indiana. <laughs> well, he was. 
the Supreme yeah, Court dismissed the Supreme Court dismissed the challenge to the Affordable Care Act on Thursday in a decision that will leave the law intact and save health care coverage for millions of Americans. The justices turned away a challenge from Republican-led states and the former Trump administration, which urged the justices to block the entire law. The justices said that the challengers of the two, uh, 2010 law did not have the legal right to bring the case. Justice Stephen Breyer penned a decision that was 7-2. to two. Justices Samuel Alito and Neil Gorsuch dissented. And, uh, let's see, uh, quote, With millions of people relying on the Affordable Care Act for coverage, it remains as ever a BFD, and it's here to stay. President Joe Biden tweeted Thursday a reference to him being caught on a hot mic telling President Barack Obama <laughs> in 2010 that the law was a big effing deal. <laughs> the uh, justices noted that there is no harm to opponents from the provisions uh, that they are challenging because Congress has reduced the penalty for failing to buy health insurance to zero. For those reasons, we conclude that the plaintiffs in this suit fail to show a concrete particularized injury fairly traceable to the defendant's conduct in enforcing the specific statutory provision they attack as unconstitutional, Breyer wrote. They have failed to show that they have standing to attack as unconstitutional the act's minimum essential coverage provision. Is this the same thing as declaring Obamacare as the law of the land? Well, not quite, but close. I mean, there have been so many attempts to do it. I mean, technically it's that, you know, because it was a matter of standing. What struck me as most significant, though, was, was the vote, 7-2. to two. I mean, even some of the conservatives finally said, okay, it's, the law's there. Um, yeah. Albeit on, so I said, that, that, that struck me as, as, as most notable, is that there were only two dissents on that one. That, that yeah, case. you know, it, if you remember, excuse me, if you remember, I predicted four years ago maybe, a little bit longer, that Obamacare would be here to stay. And even Republicans supported it to some degree because it gave people what they wanted. They wanted their kids protected until they're 25 years old. They wanted special conditions that they may have to uh, be <clears throat> um, taken care of by their insurance. Those were provisions that were not left in the old Medicaid, Medicare care laws of the government. So <clears throat> it had some components that made it attractive to uh, most of the people. And, and what the Supreme Court has ruled and what we believed and how it affects all of us and we all probably most of you around the round table probably in this case and i'm going to step into deep water here probably believe the same as i do it was effective it was useful needed that's how the american people believe about it i'll go a step further than that it saved my life uh, <laughs> which is really important well, to, yeah. s to, I, s to some people. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, th I think that's, that's probably one of the most important impacts. But, I, but in thinking about it on a, on a sort of a two or three step above uh, what's obvious level is 
the whole impact of the decision was a non-decision. We just said, they just said, well, we can't rule on this because you don't have standing, which doesn't mean that the law is now the law of the land. It means that we're not going to address the issue. And the second one was when uh, Congress reduced the penalty to zero, they didn't effectively take away that part of the law. They effectively made it non non-consequential. It didn't have an impact on anybody, which is sort of what the Supreme Court decision did. Mm-hmm. Well, the same Supreme Court says student athletes have a right to compensation. How do you feel about yep. that? How how is that likely to play out? Oh, that's good. It's going to have some really interesting impact on colleges, I think. And, uh, yeah. I, I mean, on one hand, you, when you take a look at the millions of dollars colleges make on sports, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, I'm a little concerned about is it simply going to turn colleges into a, an athletics business uh, yeah. and change the very That's nature of colleges? <clears throat> yeah. Yes. What you will have <clears throat> are the toughest guys um, and ladies uh, who can withstand the impact of, of strikes by helmets and stuff like that that bend and break bones and stuff like that. You're going to have those mixed in with the whole concept of going to college and seeking a degree in astronomy or something like that, or medicine. And if you give it to one, why shouldn't the other have it? Well, if they produce, they should. If you're, why should if the you're, have it? I was a teaching assistant when I was in graduate school, and I was paid for it. Now, I didn't make a fortune, but I received enough to pay my tuition. Um, I was doing work for the college. I was producing income for the college because the students that attended my classes were paying tuition. Why was I any different than the athlete on the field that is producing income for the college? You know, I worked with a. Go ahead. I worked with a young man who had played football for Ohio State. He was a teacher, and he told me that it took him a long time to be able to get out of bed in the morning without and walk across the bedroom floor. Now, this is a young man in his late 20s because of all of the injuries he received on the football field. Um, he wasn't compensated. He, I guess he received a scholarship, but that, that's really a, that's a price to pay. Yeah. But there are many people who would take that, con- take that scholarship. I know I would. When you take a look at the amount of money that athletics generates, I mean, particularly for football and basketball, the big sports, I mean, millions of dollars in television revenues and sales of tickets and, you know, all kind of athletic souvenirs and so forth that are sold at the games. And clearly some of those sports are great revenue producers for the college. And you take a look at the kind of salaries the coaches make. I mean, they, the, the, for the Big Ten, the coaches will make – five or ten times what the college president makes half the time. And, and the, right. even the assistant coaches do make somewhat <laughs> similar kind of salaries. So, uh, as I say, it's it's already a, a kind of a distorted what colleges are all about. You kind of wonder whether colleges are about football or are they about something else. Uh, the other thing is, what do you do about the other kids who are in who are not in the big sports, the gymnastics or the swim yeah. team or the things That's of that nature that don't generate I, a lot of revenue? I say you start paying the musicians. 
Anyway, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I yeah, you got the, 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 the college band out there at halftime all the time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We, we got to take to create your utopia in the United States. We got to not possible. We got to take another break, but we'll be back with the final segment, which of course uh, means it's X Files time on Armchair Politics right after this. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other, Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them, in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery 
is Pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this week's edition of the X-Files on uh, Armchair Politics, a uh, regular feature of the Tom Sumner program. We do dedicate our final segment of the program to those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. Authorities rescued a man who said he had been trapped for two days inside a large fan at a Northern California vineyard. The man was discovered Tuesday by a deputy responding to a call about a suspicious vehicle parked near the winery in Santa Rosa, according to the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office. The deputy saw a hat on a piece of farming equipment and then found the man stuck inside the shaft of a vineyard fan. Firefighters rescued him. The man indicated he liked to take pictures of the engines of old farm equipment, the statement said. After a thorough investigation which revealed the farm equipment wasn't antique and the man had far more methamphetamine than camera equipment, (laughs) the motivation to climb into the fan shaft remains a total mystery. The 38-year-old man required medical treatment but is expected to make a full recovery, the office said. The man will be charged with trespassing and drug possession as well as violations of a probation case according to the statement. Vineyard fans are used to circulate air across vines to keep grapes from freezing during colder months. Is meth and wine a bad combination when on a quest for antique farm equipment? (laughs) (laughs) I would think so. I would think so. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I was wondering what he was doing besides meth because (laughs) it doesn't seem to me that he was you know, inspecting the innards of a fan would be something that methamphetamine would inspire. I wouldn't think, yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, gee. Well, a Portuguese teenager has found a message in a bottle that traveled at least 2,400 miles from a Vermont teenager. Christian Santo, 17, was spearfishing in the Azores when he found a crumpled plastic bottle that was tossed into the sea near Rhode Island in 2018, according to the Boston Globe. Santos's mother, Molly Santos, posted a photo of the note on Facebook asking for others to share the post in hopes of finding the writer to share how far the message traveled. 
The note inside of a Powerade bottle was written in orange marker on a note card that reads, It is Thanksgiving. I am 13 and visiting family in Rhode Island. I am from Vermont. The note included an email address to respond. Molly Santos said that she sent an email to the address but never received a response. Do you think a response is on its way by sale mail? <laughs> or buy a bottle in the water? Yeah, that's that's sale mail. <laughs> so that's the way to respond to those things. Yeah. That's really strange. Well, sheriff's officials say someone stopped by the Spring Hill Post Office in Florida's Hernando County about 3.30 a.m. Wednesday to drop off a package and saw a seven-foot gator roaming around the lobby. The building has automatic double doors that allows off-hours entry, officials said. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission considers an alligator a nuisance animal if it is four feet or longer and deemed a threat to people, pets, or property. Nuisance, at least. Uh, Florida... (laughs) Florida has an alligator hotline for just these types of situations. By the way, if you happen to run into a Florida gator somewhere, that number is 866-392-4286. <laughs> That's good to go in Michigan. Good to know in Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Write that down. But a lot of people from right. Michigan go to Florida, so who knows? They might, yeah. might run into one, might need that number. But the question is, where do gators fit in the mail carrier's motto? <laughs> they have to add that one. <laughs> I was wondering if gators have thumbs. Can they open doors by themselves? I don't know. <laughs> well, a sign intended to alert neighbors about a thieving cat has reached far beyond the local community, making a kleptomaniac kitty a minor celebrity. Kate Felmet of Beaverton, Oregon, told local news station KOIN that she put up a sign so her neighbors could retrieve their belongings that had been snatched by Esme, her charismatic black cat. My cat is a thief, reads a large homemade sign including a drawing of Esme with a glove in her mouth. Next to the sign is a small clothesline with numerous gloves and a face mask. So far, it has worked a little bit. People come by and mostly take pictures, but we have had the school bus drive by and take a few pairs of gloves, Felmet told KOIN. The sign has gone viral on social media with many Twitter users sharing tales uh, of their own cats bringing home ill-gotten goods. Um, Should Kate change Esme's name to Mittens? (laughs) <laughs> or the original cat burglar <laughs> yeah the original cat burglar yes <laughs> now there's a funny line <laughs> well and 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 it was a funny picture i, I get the sense paul you you seem to recognize the story that maybe you've seen the picture. i did yeah i recall that story i recall seeing the picture and the picture is yeah. funny with this big sign in the yard and then this long clothesline and there's just glove after glove after glove on this <laughs> <laughs> yeah come get your stuff back anyway that's right 
Well, that wraps it up for uh, the X-Files this week and uh, for Armchair Politics. And, and thanks to all of you for participating. Of course, it's always uh, a pleasure to have our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Thank you, guys. Always good to be here. Always a pleasure. Well, thank you. And, and, and I'd like uh, this year, I mean, the today, uh, my winners uh, for uh, being able to collaborate and pull it together as a nation would be the Senate of the United States and Joe Biden. That's yeah. a nice thought. For Juneteenth, I also, I, for signing into law legislation, bringing about Juneteenth. And yeah. I also want to thank uh, Bobby Clayton Walton. It's always such a treat when uh, when she joins us for Armchair Politics. Thank you. It's a treat for me too. Anyway, we've got about two minutes left before the uh, before the show ends. Uh, if anybody has any comments that they uh, want to add or share, I wanted to share one more thought. When we were talking about the pay for athletes, college yeah. athletes, the one source of massive income from college football particularly, and basketball, is the television stations, the advertisers. Uh, It's a big industry. It's not just the colleges that are making a massive amount of money over people um, being very skilled at what they do in the sports field. Now, if I were were an athletic director... If I were an athletic director at a college, I'd be looking at signing up all the athletes for uh, SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, and yep. <laughs> get, get them paid by the TV stations. Yep. Yeah. No, that's, you're right, Bobby. That's where the real money is. I mean, for the for the for the big for the Big Ten teams out of the similar major colleges around the around the nation, it's a huge amount of money that they made this generation. Yeah. It's probably one of the original reality shows. You know, you have real things happening and. People are making a lot of money on it. Yeah. But it makes one wonder, as much as we talk about whether or not there should be so much money in politics, should there be so much money in sports? Oh, yeah, really. Well, we we thrive on entertainment, and I don't know if my politics is that entertaining. (laughs) Go ahead, Henry. Well, since the ancient Greeks, people love athletes. And you're not going to get away from it. It's something that's permeated throughout the ages. And today, uh, people are still in love with the, uh, with the athletics, and they support them, and they're willing to pay whatever the marketplace will bear. And uh, it's something that we're always going to have. And generally, we're always striving for the best that well, there is. Well, we haven't and then there's the gambling industry that comes alongside that. Too. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah. Those ads are driving me crazy on television lately. <laughs> well, we haven't yeah. talked about I it like yet, gambling. but I suspect that we'll be talking about the Olympics in the weeks to come. So stay tuned for that, right. folks. And thanks again to Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and Bobby Clayton Walton. Thank you so much, all thank, of you. Thank you, Bobby. Great Paul. time, you thanks, guys. Bobby. And, I, and I want to say thanks Goodbye. to uh, Bob Smith the uh, former uh, Washington correspondent uh, for the New York Times, uh, talking about his book Suppressed earlier on the show. It did sound interesting. It did sound really interesting. Yeah, Yeah. he was was fun to talk to and uh, had some interesting observations about the things that don't always make it into print (laughs) or on the air. Anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of Armchair Politics. That's... um, Smoking George Winters, tickling the ivories, sending me down the hall to the living room. So good night, everybody. Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. 
We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.